Uh, most of you are aware of our son Kyle's accident on his roof this year, cleaning his gutter. Uh, he jumped off the roof in an attempt to help his distressed son put out a smoking motor on the side of the house. There were broken bones, three surgeries, months of rehab, and uh, more to come. Not more broken bones, but more rehab. All right. Um, <laughs> I think what has impressed me is how Kyle and his family have responded to all this. Uh, there was much pain, as you can imagine, great disruption to their lives, to their family, but their family rallied around, uh, received help from daily tasks, were blessed by uh, people helping with some of those and uh, people helping with food. Lessons learned in his own words include slowing down, concentrating on relationships with the Lord, uh, with the family, learning to see the goodness of God in the midst of, of hardship. And speaking of Christ, Hebrews says this, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. It certainly implies that there is a great advantage for Christians when suffering because they know it's going to benefit their it's a Bible word, sanctification, and, and really what it means is it refers to our relationship with God, to our standing in Christ. And so it, it benefits that. But when we normally think about thanking God, and this is pertinent as we look on this past year, we normally think of favorable circumstances. We all do it, right? We don't think of a crushed heel and a compound fracture of the wrist. And New Year's is certainly an opportunity for people to reflect. Previous year, look forward to the next. And you might feel good about it, about the previous year. You've enjoyed your family relationships. Uh, maybe you received a promotion, got a new house, new boat, whatever. And, or you may feel like this year was a downer because you lost a job, or you had a loved one passed away, or you experienced health problems. See, our, our circumstances normally dictate how we feel about life. The Apostle Paul had a different approach. He said, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We normally see verse 13 as a way, you know, I can you know, jump all buildings with a single bound with Jesus. But I think what it means is that I can endure anything in the strength of Christ. Whatever befalls me, I can get through that because Christ is with me. Hmm. You know, there are, there are spiritual realities of who we are in Christ and Christ being in us that never change regardless of the circumstance. It's another way of saying that we do not grade the quality of our Christian life by our circumstances. And yet, we do it, right? We, we nod our heads in agreement. Oh, yeah, boy, Kevin, that sounds great. Yeah, that's good, that's good. But we're all tempted 
by an easy way of measuring our spiritual life by outward measures. And frankly, religion and even our brand and our tent has a way of messing things up in this regard. Faith communities can use the word grace, but many times throw on top of it a host of measures to give laborers a feeling of worthiness. You know, it might be a a to-do list to fit within one particular Christian subculture. You know, all kinds of things that you should be doing. Extracurricular things that are not in the Bible, but you should be doing. Something to secure God's favor. And again, it can all be done while I'm using the words grace. Kind of like a spouse who, who hugs you, and then you offer them $5 for hugging you. I mean, the offer itself is an insult to the lover. But see, grace is a, it's an abdication of human strength. It's a realization of human frailty. Grace accepts God's gifts. And religion insists on keeping track of accomplishments. And Christians do this by recounting all the ways that our spiritual life exceeds those people over there, right? Um, Because I have a certain spiritual gift, or I have this victory, I have this healing, I have this answer to prayer that they don't have. Now, it's not that these things are bad in and of themselves, it's what we interpret from them. For instance, you remember when David was chastised for taking a census of Israel? First Chronicles 21.1 says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Now listen, nothing is wrong with a census in and of itself. The problem was the reason that Israel did it. Satan tempted them to measure their own strength and capacity. Whether it's prestige, money, position, job, physical strength. Again, nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves until we mistake these things for an intimate walk with God or that our spiritual life is in tip-top shape because we have these external measures. And when it comes to our relationship with God, we are to despise measurements that draw attention to human strength and power and capacity, right? Why? Because we are prone to base our decisions on human strength, power, and capacity. You know, the house I live in, my car, my wife, my job, this church, my kids, my grandkids are all a blessing from the hand of God. But they are gifts, and and I, I am a steward of those things and all of them. But we can be self dependent in thinking our own strength and capacity secured all of these things. 
and they're the measure of my life. God's measurement of life is how I leverage all of these things for the kingdom of God. To live out loving God, loving others for his sake. And I utilize all those things to do that. You know, we can, we can pile up all kinds of accomplishments and not love God and others. And what have we really accomplished? Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13? You can do all these great spiritual feats, and if you don't have love, what does it amount to? Zippo. Now, here's some godly wisdom we need to cling to. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I am prone in the flesh to measure things in a way that rejects the way of God. We all do it. We're all prone to it because of our flesh, but it's what we need to reject. And to make this point further, we read, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts in Isaiah 55. And again, we read in Jeremiah, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it's not in man who walks to direct his steps. So one way that we can practice a spiritually discerning way is knowing what to delight and take joy in. Listen to the psalmist who said this, his delight is not in the strength of the horse. You're thinking, well, I've never done that, never delighted in the strength of a horse, but it's that thing that showed strength in that day. So you can just insert just about any material possession today for horse, all right? Not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. You know, your, your physical ability. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Now, we have to be very careful here. Uh, we live in a world where we have to do business. Like, you know, you have to make a house payment. You have to get insurance. Uh, you have to traffic in monetary transactions. We have to do physical things that are necessary to operate in the physical world. There's nothing wrong with that. And in addition, I should add, money is not evil, right? But evil transpires when our hope and our trust and our love are in money or physical things, right? So what the psalmist is saying, there's nothing wrong with horses until we trust in the horse for deliverance instead of the Lord. To put it succinctly, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. So this is our challenge as a church, as a people, as individuals. And so daily, I think we have to take inventory of these things and where our hearts are headed and what our hopes and aspirations are, right? This, I think, is our job today. You know, it's common for pastors 
to spell out the doom to those who, you know, operate in material things and riches. But here are the hard facts. I don't know if you've ever heard a pastor say this before, but some may actually benefit from trusting in money. Some, at least for a season, have a reward in this life when they see these things as their strength. When they operate on just human ingenuity. If you ever read the Psalms, you see the psalmist complaining about this. Why is it that these people who don't honor you seem to be getting ahead? And here I am, trusting you, Lord, and it seems I'm way far back with these things. Seeking money or power can for a season seem like it works. Right? Well, the Apostle Paul was helpful when he said this. But godliness and contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. Well, there's a fact you ought to remember. But if we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire, notice that's heart issue, to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For it's the love of money that's a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Hmm. Some, I think some people will experience earthly consequences for this of hoping in money, but I think Paul clearly is giving a kind of heavenly perspective. He's pointing to a destruction that focuses on taking nothing with us, and it talks about rewards in heaven. The pangs and ruin will be people who love lots of stuff on earth, but they're poorly rewarded because their trust and contentment was not in the Lord. Now, this is a problem for all of us, right? Regardless of our bank accounts, you can do it at any social strata. It's a problem for churches, regardless of whatever size the church is. You know, it's common for people to, you know, criticize the big churches, but it's my experience, no matter what size of church, this is a kind of temptation that's always there. To look at attendance, buildings, budgets as the chief measurement. Again, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. So when we rightly see God's way, all right, we call this spiritual discernment. And God's ways are often upside down to us. A couple examples. For instance, 
it's not uncommon for churches to choose leaders or elders or whatever, trustees, whatever a particular church calls them in their particular church. They choose them based upon business success, not spiritual acumen. But if you look at 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, you clearly see these spiritual characteristics that are to be in place for the elders. And so the spiritual discerning can see that his tools for operation are not of this world, speaking of God's tools. And I think one of the biggest temptations the church has today in this. Now, I want you to hear me close, hear my words. Don't put words in my mouth I didn't say, which happens all the time when I ever bring up this subject. So I want you to listen clearly, okay? But we see power in politics as a way for us to advance God's agenda. I listened to a podcast this week of two well-known Christians, and I'm not here to badger other believers, but they said, and I had to listen to it twice to make sure I didn't misquote them, that if revival is going to come, it's going to come by the church standing up for social and political issues. And one person even chastised the church when it puts their hope, in his words, the little gospel. As it acts like the church in Nazi Germany who will wake up and have no power. Those are their words. Now listen closely. I am not advocating that Christians should stay silent on social issues. I'm not advocating that Christians should not be involved in politics. I agree that there are evil schemes at work in high places. I'm addressing the hyperbole or the overstatement of Christian nationalists who claim revival will come through political involvement and who believe that the gospel is toothless. We involve ourselves with the process we are afforded as US, U.S. citizens to address injustice, to be obedient as citizens of heaven, to steward the freedoms God has given us as a nation. But we are not to seek power as a way to turn the hearts of people because power cannot do that. How many of you changed when your parents said, I want you to do this because I said so? <laughs> Automatically change into an obedient child because my dad threatened me, right? No, we're not to seek power as a way to turn the hearts of people. We're not to be silent either. But we speak to these things in obedience as a child of God. And because I want to create a better community for my neighbors because I love my neighbor and I value every life as being made in the image of God. And I love them. And I don't demonize, as these people did, the political enemies as they view them. The gospel is not little. The gospel is not toothless. It is the hope 
of mankind. But we don't run to the extremes here. Let us not overstate the influence of power, but let us also not be silent. And let us not demonize our political opponents. Let us not be drunk on our own political census. I operate as a steward of God, loving my neighbor, not as a bully shoving my agenda down the throat of others. If there's a model to follow, let me suggest somebody we might want to follow. His name is Jesus, who spoke to the evil of Herod. I can speak to an evil of a president who has an intern doing extracurricular activity in his office. I can say, that's evil. You shouldn't do that. Nothing wrong with speaking to it. Jesus also overturned the temple tables, but clearly saw the gospel as the primary tool to address the hearts of mankind. Okay, end of soapbox. But it's important because I think it's one of the biggest temptations that the church grabs onto in terms of seeking human power to make a change, and that's not the way of the kingdom of God. Now, here's a truth I want you to grab onto. The church is the most powerful entity on earth, more so than any president, more so than any political party, and it's why I address the church today. A church can, I think, suffer the same lack of of discernment when it engages the past or talks about the future by looking at human means. But I am truly thankful, and I want you to know my heart here, for what God has done at CCC. Whether it's in programs that have taken place, people have been ministered to, whether it's the blessing of a mortgage that was supernaturally paid off early, or moving ahead and building a multi-purpose building. These are many ways that we loosen our grip and live an abundant life when we open our hands and calendars and our budgets, expecting God to use them for his kingdom. This is one of our stated values. We've seen God's hand in loving our kids with a wonderful VBS Families coming together during Harvest Fest. Our families serving together in our serve day in North Springfield. We had another Advent conspiracy that purchased an industrial fridge for Victory Mission and gave now over $6,000 for their food pantry. Also, as a part of our Advent conspiracy, we purchased and presented presents packaged them and uh, wrapped them and gave them to four very needy families in North Springfield where they were suffering from abuse. And then several from our own body uh, went to Guatemala. This is after an interruption of a couple years after the pandemic. That happened in 2022. These are opportunities 
to love your neighbor, to build intentional relationships, to meet physical and spiritual needs both next door and around the globe. That also is one of our values. But here are things that uh, I think God has also delighted in. And I'm not suggesting that the other things that I've mentioned are not God's hand, but we often miss God's movement in other areas because we focus on the external. I appreciate the unity that God has granted this church. With an onslaught of cultural forces in a pandemic, social issues, a national election, it hasn't always been pretty. But I look at our congregation today and my heart is just full with gratefulness, and I'm thankful. God has strengthened us to overcome distractions. We unite as a diverse community to over, overcome differences through a gospel focus and purpose. That is another of our values. We've instituted new leaders through elder training, deacon and deaconesses being installed. We hired an an associate pastor in Joel Butler. I took two months away on a sabbatical this year, and it was amazing how God had provided through the excellent leadership of our church. But here's another one. I look at particular people in our congregation who have endured cancer, they have not been healed. I think of Tom Green, Julie White, Lynn Williams, Ernest Cantwell. We've prayed for healing, and I believe God can do that. But we've also prayed that God would sustain each person and allow them to honor God in their hardship. And God has answered our prayer and allowed us to witness a tremendous testimony in the endurance of faith in these incredible hardships. And it's really a highlight. It's a highlight for me in hearing these testimonies and listening to these people speak. And they're not the only ones who have suffered this year. I know there are many others. And you know what? That also goes to one of our values, which is do the hard thing. To Choose obedience even when it means taking the harder or longer path. And this is what these people have done. And this is what we do when we continue to love even when we're hurt, even when we disagree. For 2023, uh, we seek to foster and give more attention to our young adult ministry, to see each and every one of our ministries in a succession plan, including multiplying life groups, using others to participate in in leadership, utilizing others. We will also keep encouraging all of us to participate in the co-journer's objective of coming alongside others in their spiritual journey to share our faith. We seek to build a multi-purpose building in 2023 as just this packed Past week, papers were signed, and it's a go. Now listen, we can do all of this in our own strength and pridefully proclaim 
our ingenuity, and our giving. Or we can look to God to provide beyond what we ask or think. And in this, we practice another of our values, getting out of the boat. We operate in faith for God to lead us. Now, what is a way that we can operate in a God-honoring way in these things? There's probably a lot of ways to do it. I certainly am not claiming that this is exhaustive, but let me give you at least one that we desperately pray, consistently pray for God's intervention and direction. We want our efforts to be spiritually discerning and activated by God's power. We read in Jeremiah this, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. And this is something that was constantly said of Israel. God's people, but they didn't look to him. They forsook God, all right? They forgot to ask him. They thought that they were doing this on their own strength. Look at all of our horses. Look at our strength. They forsook me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You made your plans. You held on to power. And you were thinking that that was the ticket. Listen. It doesn't matter how big our buildings, how successful our programs, if we operate in arrogance and self-congratulations. We look to God daily, not forsaking him. What I want to encourage all of us to do, we can do this in our homes, we can do this anywhere. We can participate in prayer daily to be a part of what God is doing here at CCC. And then, watch what he does as he intervenes for his own glory. That's amazing. So you know what I think? How about we take some time to do that right now and to pray and ask God to move in our midst. So here's a ready-made application. I'm going to ask there'll be some in our congregation that would lift our church, lift each other up to the Lord, that we would seek his wisdom and his power. We'd look to him daily. So let's all bow our heads. And if you'd like to pray, I would just ask that you would pray loud enough to where others can hear you. And I'd like for some of you to just entreat him now and participate, to, uh, participate in our service today. Men or women, join us. Pray right now.